Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with every one of you. And I want to share something from um, the scripture. It's in Psalm number 57. And I believe that it is a very necessary word that we bring. Um, Psalm 57. It's a psalm when David was being faced with incredible, uh, you could call it persecution, but it was really the hatred of family. His his father-in-law, Saul, wanted to kill him. His wife uh, is very up for grabs. But he, in this state of terrible pressure where his life was in danger any moment, and he looks out of the window of his house and he sees the soldiers of Saul and the Secret Service and they're watching for him. And he writes um, some of these psalms uh, and one of them at that time, Psalm 57, and he describes it and we don't have time to go into it. Um, uh, he, he's talking about all, all these pressures. But then he says in verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast or fixed and strong and rooted and founded. Steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake my glory. Awake lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. Uh, and I'm going to leave it at that. I've got a lot to say. And, and so the thing that arrests me at this time when the feelings of David are certainly under extreme pressure, he addresses himself in verse 8 there that we just read, Awake my glory, I will awaken the dawn. He describes his inner core being as my glory. Awake my glory. And then he describes how awaking his glory, his inner core person, then he will grab his instruments and use his voice and he will herald the dawn by singing praise to God. And really what has arrested me in these last days is just those two words. I will awaken my glory. He addresses himself. Are you, are you hearing me? He, he addresses his inner core being, the, the heart of his being. He, he's addressing the wonders of his soul. And that includes the will, the mind, the imagination, the emotions. And, and I say right down to very core, which sometimes we would address as your very spirit, your heart, your person. He addresses himself as my glory. And just to say that quickly would be enough, I think. But this is the same word that is used to describe the glory of God. It's the, it's the regular word in Scripture for glory. Now, I have to ask, especially in these days, you know what I mean? Um, let, let me be, well, I don't know whether I should, but, you know, when you went to wherever you went on Sunday to worship, how did you come away? How did you leave it? Did you come away with a sense of sin? No, no, I'm not preaching. I'm, I'm talking to you. Did, did you come away with a, a sin consciousness? 
a sense of everything I'm not, everything I don't have, everything I ought to be, all the mistakes I've made, all that I should be, uh, that led up probably to everybody going forward to promise to make all that right. Did you? And that's an honest question. I, because some of you would know that wouldn't be so. But but I know there's a, there's a number of people that being in church on Sunday made you feel a little bit more unworthy before God. It uh, underscored the fact that you were not enough. That was it. Never enough. You're never enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You don't pray enough. You don't. You don't anything enough that is to do with God and, and the kingdom of God. And therefore, you came away from church feeling more guilty, actually ashamed. And, and there are some that would even have skulked in the parking lot, knowing that if anybody could really see beyond your face, they probably wouldn't talk to you because you were faced with sin consciousness. And, and tragedy is that is equated in, in these days in which we live. That's equated. That feeling of guilt and wrong and sin is equated with normal. That's the way Christians are, you say. And in some areas, that would be counted as humility to say, I'm unworthy, I'm no good, I'm not enough. And Amazing. Um I trust you come away from these hours that we spend together feeling quite different to that. And that's what the point is here. David does not stand before God, even in a time when he's under such extreme pressure and feelings that, that could be negative and dark are nibbling at the edge of his mind. And yet he addresses himself before God as my glory. I, I, I want to know what this chap is talking about, especially because this was written in the Old Testament. So whatever we discover here is going to be a trillion times more so in the New Testament. For Jesus is the finality. He takes up the entire Old Testament in himself and fulfills it. And so... Okay, what does this word mean? David said, my glory. Well, essentially, the word glory in the Hebrew language um, means weight. It means heavy. That, that's the literal meaning of the word, weight, heavy. But it's applied to the person we actually, at least in England, we we have an expression that almost says this. We say of someone, um, maybe someone in the office or the factory, uh, and we say, that, that chap has weight around here. Uh, have you ever heard that expression? You, you carry weight. It, it, it means that that person has an authority. They, they have a power. They have... Um, when they walk through, everybody stops to listen. That, that person is impressive. That would be the word, impressive. Uh, they're not to be taken lightly. They, they are to be um, revered in a certain way. They're, they're weighty, you see. Their words are weighty. That's another expression we have arising from this. Um, so the word means impressive. It means a reputation because the reason you're acting around that fellow like that is because they've got a certain track record. You know who they are, that they have a reputation and you sincerely revered them. You, you are impressed with them, sincerely so. This is not the bully who walks through. This isn't the fellow who's all talk and everybody secretly despises. No, this is a person that you recognize has earned that sense of worth and importance that is placed upon him. So the word means reputation. It also means fame. 
that this person has earned their place in the minds of other humans. And it means that everything they say, they do. It means that their, their, their actions and their behavior backs up their words. And so they are honored. That's another word that translates this, honor and dignity, and they've earned it. And so you could say, and this is another way of translating this word, it's your essential wealth. Now, I didn't say how much is in your bank, uh, because you know that there are many, a multitude of persons who have a lot of money in the bank, but their lives are poverty-stricken with, with emotional, mental emptiness and pain, and so on. You know that. Um, no, the, this word means essential wealth. That is the wealth of my core person. I'm wealthy inside in terms of peace and joy and love and harmony. Um, that's real wealth. And it spills over to a wealthy mind that is alive and creative and wise. It spills over into wealthy emotions. And so this person is joyous. Uh, that's essential wealth. And then, of course, yes, such a person, um, everything they touch is blessed with, with this. And it also, and it's an extension of that, that, that person of honor, that person of dignity and so on, that person um, who holds a position by right of who they are, then the word moves yet to another dimension of meaning splendor and majesty and, and then it moves to beauty, for such is a beautiful human being or beautiful person. And, and it means radiance. There's something about this person, an energy of light that, that affects everybody that comes around them. Okay, glory. Did, did you get all that? Um, this person who, in their, their being, their essential person, they are with a reputation of goodness. It's, it's, a, it's a reputation of wisdom. It's a reputation of, of truth. And therefore, they're honored. They're praised. They have dignity. They have true wealth. They're, they're majestic and so on. You get that. And, and of course, when you think about that, all that they've done, all that they are, then it means that the word glory is the sum of their purpose in life. They are, they, what we call their glory, that which they have done, which we have seen, who they are in our midst, is but a fulfillment of their purpose, their intention in life. It's, it's the fulfillment in action, in words, in person, the fulfillment of their dreams and imaginations. So glory, it's the manifestation, it's the radiance, a radiance that sometimes is not physically seen, but it's felt. The, the energy of a person who just by being who they are, cause praise, and we are happy to honor them and to declare their worth. Now, when we, when we say the, the glory of God, now put all that together, the glory of God is, <laughs> well, there's none more impressive. There's none with a grander reputation. There's none more famous. <laughs> His fame, the honor, the dignity, you see, the essential wealth of the original unbegun being. And hence the words that describe his splendor, his majesty, his beauty, the radiance, and hence his power and his authority. This, this is who he is. And, and Moses, do you remember Moses? in that great dialogue that he had with the Lord on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 33. And in verse 18, Moses speaks to the presence of God. Do you remember this? And he said, please 
show me your glory. Okay. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will. But notice how he says it. I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim my name before you. And he speaks of his grace and his compassion. The goodness of God, the compassion of God is described as his glory or the New Testament word that sort of encompasses all of those words, the the loving kindness, the faithfulness, as well as the goodness and the compassion and justice, or, or that is the making of things right kind of God, sums it all up in that word agape, God love. Therein is his glory. Yet David addresses himself with such a term. I say it again. I mean, do you see where this is going? Um, We we are taught, uh, at least I was growing up in terms of any contact I had with, with church, that, that you, you looked in the mirror and, and it was understood. You said unworthy, unworthy. That if you, if you didn't say you were unworthy and if you didn't say you were guilty, that, then there was obviously something wrong with you, you see. If you had to get right with God, well, then you were normal. If you sat there rejoicing in the fact that you lived in him and he lived in you, then you were odd, weird to be prayed for, for goodness sake. Now, we've got to look at this. David could look at himself and say, glory, he, David, addresses David as my glory. Well, have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror and realized your glory as a human being? Have you ever ever thought about that? Many people don't think of God the creator we don't realize that the gospel begins in the book of Genesis. You see, um, <laughs> look, I say, look at it. You are astonishing. You're amazing. Just the fact of you. Uh, I, I, I don't want to stay here. We've got a lot more to say than that. But as I've been in the jungles of the world and and recognized the uniqueness of the human in the midst of other creatures and to recognize that other creatures recognize our uniqueness and to recognize that we don't have the most fabulous bodies in the world and to look at some animals, our eyes are in the wrong place. And and our nose is ridiculous. We can't smell anything. And our eyes, not only in the wrong place, but can't see very much. And, and our skin, good grief, you could put a pin through it. And I'm up against animals that walk around with plates of steel. And yet we rule the planet. You're amazing, you know. Yes, you, every one of us, it doesn't matter what you might be doing, what you are doing, no human and no creature could ever do. Do you realize it takes one made in the image of God to be able to feed your cat? Huh. Well, that's it. You're glorious in creation. But I just mentioned the very heart of it for when the Lord made the human Uh, humankind, male and female, it says, and he made them in the image of God, he created them. Image and likeness of God. Now, just just hold that for a moment. You were made originally at creation, mankind, that's us. We, We were made in the image and in the likeness of God. In Psalm 8, the psalmist is meditating on the same scripture as we are right now, back in Genesis. And he said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars. He said, it's as if this chap is on his back looking at the stars on a night filled when the heavens are filled with stars. And, and, And he considers the heavens 
and he feels so incredibly small. And he says, I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun and the moon and the stars. And he said, what is man that you're mindful of? What, what, what is man? Who am I in this vastness? I am smaller than a pinhead. And, and yet you are mindful. You, I, I'm right there in your face. You, you know me. What, what is, who am I? That uh, the Son of Man, that you should, you should visit him. He said this, or, or you could say maybe a better translation, you give your fullest attention to us. You care for us. What is man that you're mindful, that you, you give us your fullest attention? Yes, you should ask questions like that. He says, for you've made him a little lower than God. You've crowned him with glory and honor. This is humankind. This, this is who we are in our creation. Please understand that sin is not natural to the human. Sin is not an attribute of human. Please understand that. It's a human being. I've just read what they are. Little lower than God, crowned with glory and honor. And God gives us his full mind and attention and care. That's how we were created. Amazing. The image and the likeness of God. And the word image there, it, it means a mirror image. It means there's an original, that is God, and we are like a mirror image. Did you hear that? Get it? You're, you are incredible in your creation, the mirror image. And, and, and we're not talking here just about sort of a piece of glass mirror. To mirror God, to be the image of God means a union, you can't mirror God unless there's a union between you and that glorious God. We were created to be united with God so that we might be the persons of his reflection on earth, to establish his presence in the midst of creation. And I might just throw in here, the Bible teaches in the New Testament that Jesus, God the Son, is the image of God. So right from the beginning, there was the hint we were created to be united to God through the Son. Hmm. Man's glory. Are you getting nervous here that I'm saying these things? I haven't condemned you yet, have I? Uh, um, man's glory is that God created us. God took the initiative. And, and, and so he wanted you here. You're not here by accident, you say. God created, God wanted you on the planet. You're one of those chosen to be a human, chosen to be here alive. And you, in your being here, originally called to image the God of glory and do so within the midst of creation. Let me put it like this. Um, are you into pictures? Um, maybe not. So, But try and follow this. I think he's got something for you. The, the, the picture, that is the painting, that, that which some artist has done, therein, shall I say at this, is the glory. And that, that signature on the painting that defines the artist, there, there is the glory of the artist. And, and that picture is put into a frame. And therefore you could say that the picture is the glory of the frame. It is because of that picture being what it is and because of the signature on it that, that the frame basks in the glory of the picture. But mind you, then you've got to say something else. You just don't put any old frame 
on a beautiful picture worth thousands of dollars. That, so the, the frame, although it fades before the glory of the picture, the frame itself has to have a certain glory for the picture to fit in it properly. But having said that, without the picture, the frame, well, we stack it in the attic. There's, there's no, you don't hang a frame on the wall. No. And it's something like that, that we are the frames and we were made, we were fashioned, sculpted, incredible humans fitted to carry the picture, the glory of God, the person and being of God. And the frame, <laughs> the frame picks up the glory of the picture. But of course, without the picture, there's nothing. The glory. Can, can you begin to taste this word? The glory. That God is love. God is good. God is goodness. He is compassion. He's sworn faithfulness, loving kindness. That's the only way I can explain your being here and my being here. That is that love created us. This wasn't power. Oh, please, come on. You think that there's some monster in the sky that just puffed us into being because he wanted to do it? Power. You know, the, some of the university professors who, who talk of the origins of life. Really, it, it's the saddest thing if ever you get them talking, especially if you, you can push them to the extreme. Just very recently, one of the leading, I mean leading, scientists in the world, when pushed as to the origin of life, had to mumble stupidly that probably aliens from another galaxy came and seeded our world. Oh, how pathetic. To think that you, oh glorious you, you who can love, you who can laugh, you who can embrace, you who can give birth, you who can care and nourish and nurture, you who can give your life for another, you who can weep with those that weep, you... Just you, forget everything else I might say tonight. Just you, wondrous you. You came from a slop of mud, is that it? Or if there is a God, did, did he just in power bring you into being? Just power. And then he's going to beat them. Oh, because he, you just don't do what he wants. No. Just, just look at you. Then look at the scripture and realize we didn't come from aliens. We didn't come from squirming mud. We came from the God who is love and created us out from his love in order to love us. We were created to image his love, to receive that love, respond to that love, and incredibly our very bodies and the invisible parts of our being were fitted, uniquely fitted for the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us and cause us to be enlightened and to know that love. We were created wired to be containers of God. And yet part of this world we were created to lead creation lead every other creature from grasses to grasshoppers to lions and tigers and elephants and cats and dogs and llamas and parrots to lead creation in giving praise to God. The creature who is in the God family and at the same time a creature leading 
the creation to God. And if, if you attend a liturgical church, you know that, that sometimes we use the expression that, that we give voice to all creatures under heaven. We give them their voice. I remind our people every so often, we're giving voice to our llamas right now. We're the voice of every cat on the property. We're giving voice to the dogs. We're giving praise to God. Let all the leaves clap their hands. Let the sea roar. Let the thunders roll and say hallelujah. You get the picture. That's what we created, you glorious creature. So what is sin? You see, sin isn't just breaking rules. Theologians can make this so boring. No. What, what is sin? Sin was the greatest lie. In fact, it was such a lie that would take care of everything. The lie. The great deceit and seduction. Satan said to mankind, you shall be as God. That is, to the frame, Satan said to the frame, you shall be the picture. You don't need the picture anymore. You're the frame. Pride rose up and turned inward to try and find meaning and worth and glory in myself. And then to put up masks. Fig leaves were just the beginning. Mask on top of mask. To try and depict to the world out there. That I found meaning and purpose. And I've got it together. While inside feeling utterly empty. Or as Romans 1 says, they turned the glory of the incorruptible God into worshipping creation and brute beast and self. And, or as Philippians 3.19 says, their glory, well, the things they glory in is really their shame. It's all been turned on its head. And so you get those magazines every year that come out with those lists of the billionaires and whatever. And usually on the cover it says, what is he worth? As if worth is anything to do with money. Oh, we've lost our glory and so we try to substitute it with stuff. And that's how Satan defines prosperity. And when the frame threw out the picture, what is he left with? A great empty space. That produces inner anxiety. The sense of I'm incomplete and the sense of what's my meaning and what's my purpose. But at such a time, right there, as mankind sinned in the Garden of Eden, the glory of God shone the brighter. Or as Romans 5 puts it, uh, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. So man's sin only caused the glory of God to be seen in greater brightness. A brightness and a glory that reflected on us, sinful human beings. That's interesting. How, how, what do I mean? Because in the Garden of Eden, have you noticed, the Lord does not leave the couple. Now, I, maybe you've read the story too many times, but that's amazing to me that mankind has self-divorced. They, they, they've kicked the picture out of the frame. This is our world, they're saying. They've taken the canvas and they've torn it and said, this is mine. <laughs> so you would think, surely, that a god of power or anything else is just going to squash them like insects. I mean, for goodness sake, they're, they're, they're created. They're only a few days old. <laughs> Pipsqueaks. Field mice contending with a herd of elephants. Well, but God doesn't leave them. That is amazing. 
Do you hear me? He doesn't leave them. He sadly tells them the consequences uh, of, of what they've done up to a point. It's, it's going to be a rough life. But then the Lord stands beside the defiant, insolent, rebellious humans. He stands with them against Satan and declares Satan's downfall that shall come about by one that the Lord himself will send through the womb of the woman. Come on, get out of your religious seats. It's time to dance. Have you never realized what I just said? Where, where is this God who's throwing his weight around? Well, that's the point. He was throwing his weight around. The weight, the glory, his honor, his dignity, the wonder of this God that he won't stop loving mankind or placing upon them a supreme worth, even when they've spat in his face and told him to get lost, and announced that they're going their own way and they are their own God. He will not leave, but whether they like it or not, he stands with them against Satan and announces Satan's downfall. Or could I put it like this? that this incredible God who is love refuses to leave mankind and refuses to be God without us. Yes, you heard me. He loved that couple. I mean, as far as uh, human history was concerned at that point, they couldn't be worse. God loved them as they were at that moment and as they would become when he was finished with them. But he loved them as they were. He bestowed a worth on them at their worst moment. Do, do you hear me? There, there's no rules laid out. There's, he doesn't say if you do this and if you do that. He announced it. I'm with you and I'm against Satan, the deceiver. And I'm going to handle this by a man who shall be born of the woman. You see, Jesus summed this up in Luke 15. And I'm not going to stay here very long. But you remember Luke 15, the parable of the sheep and the coin and the sons? There's one common thread that runs through. Why does the shepherd go after the sheep? Tell me why. He's not going on a hunt for wild sheep, is he? That is his sheep. And he has an investment in that sheep and he is not going to let the sheep go. So he goes into the wilderness to find his sheep and when he returns he says rejoice with me I have found my sheep which was lost similarly the woman with a coin similarly the father announces you're my son you can't tell me you don't belong here anymore do you realize that huh. God has a vision that saw through their rebellion and says you're mine. I made you to love you. I made you to be in my family. I'm coming to get you. I'm coming into the realm of death and I'm going to lay hold on you while I trash your... <sighs> the one who's imprisoned you, the deceiver, I'm going to bring you home. He uses the word lost. You don't use the word lost unless something very precious has gone missing, misplaced. It's when a child it doesn't come home at night and it ends up the whole village goes out to look for the child. Why? Because the child is lost. It's a precious, some precious has gone missing. Right down to your searching for your favorite 
pen, your cell phone, something. You, you, you're not going to say, ho-hum, it's gone. No, it's lost. And if it's lost, it means you're going to find it. It's precious. That's how God defined you and I. While we still didn't even know he was there because we were blind and ignorant and stupid, but God says they are precious and I will not rest until I have found them. He described us as, as pearls and, and he would sell everything he had to find you, says the, the parable. Or, or again, as a treasure in a field. And again, he describes the man as selling everything he had to buy the field to get the treasure. That's you. God sold everything he had to lay hold upon you, his treasure. Bask in that glory, for it is so. Relentlessly pursuing us, love would not let go. And and that just... Just saying that, if, if God pursued us, mankind, throughout the millennia of the Old Testament and continually being rebuffed, yet he will not give up. What does that say? The very action of God is bestowing worth. You, you have worth beyond words. And... and that's his glory. That's the glory of God that he would do that. That's the glory of God. That's his love. That's his goodness. That's his compassion. And in that, in, in those actions of, of pursuing us, you have his intention, his purpose, his thought, you could say, his strategy, you could say his blueprint. That is his glory because it is who he is. Uh, and, but it's, it's not haphazard. There was a purpose. There's a plan. And it's moving deliberately through the decades. It's moving toward its fulfillment. Oh, the glory of God's thoughts toward you. The glory of God's intention for you. The incarnation. How did the how did the incarnation burst into this world? Oh, you you're going to sing it in a few weeks' time. Everybody gets excited about it. Think for a minute. How did it begin? Suddenly, the skies open up in a light beyond light, and they heard the choral angels sing glory to God in the highest. They announce the glory of God. They announce the fulfillment of a purpose and an intention that began in the Garden of Eden. They announce that God's words have now become the word in flesh. The dreams of God for you, the dreams of love, have now taken on flesh and bone, and ligament, and muscle, and blood, and organs. And finally, please get this, this is the why behind the incarnation. God became flesh, and what does that mean, says Colossians chapter 1, that the image of God, the exact likeness of God, has assumed our humanity. We have the first human being who is in the image and likeness of God. So this then is the beginning of creation all over again. That's where we began in Genesis 1. A man, a woman, mankind made in the image and likeness of God. That God in the fullness of his glory the exact likeness of God should dwell and be at home in a human body, a human brain, operating through human ears. It's happened. Then, what, what, what do we have? I said it a moment ago. We got, this is the beginning of a new creation. 
This is the first one. Like Adam was the first one who screwed up the first one and refused the image of God. We only have a blitzed image if we're, we're descendants of Adam. But now this, a last Adam, a new beginning, a new Garden of Eden. He's beginning again and he's here to restore what Satan lyingly destroyed, what Adam foolishly gave away. This one has come to reunite us to love. It says in John 1, 18, no one has ever seen God with these eyes, but this one that I'm talking about, the one born in Bethlehem, this one, because he is who he is, And it says he was in the bosom of the Father, which means he was inside the inner being of God. He is God with God. And now God came from God and took to himself humanity and did it in due process, beginning as a speck in the womb of Virgin Mary, grew within her womb and was born after nine months through the birth canal God has come and joined us. The image of God is with man. It says, John, we beheld his glory. Yeah, we, he, this, this is 100% man, but we see here the presence of God. We beheld his glory. This this glory, this love that God is now in our humanity not only reveals to us who God is, not only stands before us and says, this is what you were created to be, but also because he is God from God in our humanity, he embraces humanity. And he carries that twisted, distorted, blinded, ignorant, dead at heart humanity. He carries it to death in himself. That's the glory of God. Yes, you heard me. That's the glory of God that he loved us to the nth degree and carried us to death by himself bearing that death and having carried us to death and defeated Satan we in him and with him raised to life we arrive we come out of the tomb a new creation you've read those words then a man being Christ is a new creation that's it this is the first creation and then there's the new creation And this begins, has its source and origin in Jesus, Son of God, God the Son, who is 100% our human brother. And he carried us as our representative out from death. Someone said to me the other day, when were you born again? I said, 2,000 years ago when Jesus stepped out of the tomb on resurrection morning. I was born again. See, this is repentance. As we've said before, repentance is not feeling guilty and beating ourselves and promising silly promises. Repentance means a change of mind, an exchange of thoughts, a radical exchange. That is, I abandon, I repulse, I reject the thoughts that were implanted in us in the Garden of Eden, the self-glory. I will be as God. I'm the meaning and I'm finding the meaning and I'm doing the best I can at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Gone. No, I reject that now. I reject it because I've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I've seen the thoughts of God in terms of what his love design is. Specifically for me, I see his love intention for me, for the human race. I, I throw my thoughts away to embrace his thoughts. 
to say amen and yes to his intention to embrace God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ, our representative man. And now you, you, the glory of God fulfilled in Jesus, but the glory of God fulfilled in Jesus laying hold upon us and uniting with us, saying, I in you and you in me. And the glory of God fulfilled in me, fulfilled in you, that God did it. He did it. He carried me, carried you to death, raised me, raised you from death. And wherever Jesus is, there you are, there I am, the beloved of the Father. The glory of God, all that he has done because of who he is and all of his desires and his dreams of you and I fulfilled. Oh yes, thank you David for starting this off by saying my glory, yes, my glory, his glory in me. Huh. And, and we don't only repent, do we? we? We believe and that is we abandon ourselves to that glory. We trust the glory. We trust the love of God. Trust him to deal with our sin. Trust him to complete that work of causing us to grow in grace and in the knowledge. We worship the glory that is, we join the party, yes, the celebration. We learn the dance steps of grace. And we learn to joy and to laugh with the God who said, Rejoice with me. Notice that, rejoice with me. Join me in my rejoicing. Why? Because I found you. I found you. Come and... I. Dare I say this, the Holy Trinity, the Holy Trinity rejoices and dances for joy over you. They've found you in Jesus Christ. They've laid hold upon you. They've embraced you. And now they say, come to our party. Rejoice with me. You're, you, you, I'm me by myself. We're the reason for the joy of the Holy Trinity. Look, Jesus prayed. I, I suppose I could say he didn't even just say it. He was actually talking to his father in John 17 when he said that he gave to us his glory. Read it. And that glory was that we should join him in his union with the Father through the Holy Spirit. It's who you are. It's who you are. Jesus said, I in you, you in me. Paul said his whole gospel was summed up in Christ in you, the hope of glory, the hope of this fulfillment in God's fulfillment. And what did Jesus say about you? You are the light of the world. You are beautiful because beauty is in the core. It's not in a facelift. It's not in dyeing yourself different colors. Or beauty it is you in union with the Father through the Son by the Holy Spirit living within you. There's the beauty, the glory of God, and it radiates through whatever your physical frame looks like. Oh, I know what you're saying. Well, I don't. But I'm sure there's some out there. You know, this is proud. This is pride. No. Look, true humility, you might put this on your refrigerator door, true humility is saying of myself what God says about me. And God the Father has said an entire Bible, specifically an entire New Testament, 
about who I am, you are in Christ. And if I don't say what God says about me, then I'm in danger of joining Satan, whose first words in the Bible hath God said. Now, it's religion that says what all I'm saying here. There's religion that says that this is pride. Because, you see, religious humility is pride in shame. And the more guilt you can cook up, the more humble you're supposed to be. No, humility is to look without shame, with boldness into the face of God the Father and in union with God the Son, Lord Jesus Christ, say, Abba, Daddy. And David said, here, I haven't, I mean, I just used that verse to get us started, really. But, but he says there, he would awake, awake my glory, awake my glory, awake, I will awake the dawn to praise, which suggests he's, he's saying he's been asleep. Yeah. You, you can, well, what, what, what is it? It's a sleeping pill, religion is. Religion is a sleeping pill. The lies of the accuser, they're sleeping pills. They dull us. They hypnotize us with their darkness. And now the scripture comes and says, wake up, wake up, wake up. It's the dawn of a new covenant day. Wake up. Open your eyes. Get out of bed. You're not the phantom that you dreamt you were. Wake up. Wake up. You've had a nightmare. You're not that person. You're the person that you are in Christ. Have you noticed this? That when you're asleep, you don't know who you are. When you're asleep, you don't know where you are. Wake up, you see. Wake up to the reality of who this glorious God is and therefore who you are in Christ. Wake up. You are beloved just as you are. And you are beloved, the one you'll become. You see, oh, See, legalism gets it backwards. You've got to do this. You've got to do this, and then you'll become. No, it's backwards. You are this person because who you are depends 101% upon Jesus. Jesus, your representative. Jesus is the one who died and did the job perfectly. Jesus is the one who buried you in the tomb. Jesus is the one who in his power raised you out from death. Jesus is the one who carried you right into deep heaven to the Father. Jesus is the one. That's who you are. It's got nothing to do with what you do, with what you earn. You are who you are in and because of him. And therefore, everything from here on out is becoming who you are. You don't do in order to become. You do because you have become. And you are now growing in this. And, and you're, huh. oh yeah. Well, I think we've got another week here. I, I, I hadn't planned on that, but I'm out of time and um, still a bunch to say. And so, why don't you marinate in this for a week and we will pick up next week this, this fact that you are, you are along with me and every other. We, we, we are. We can look at ourselves and say, my glory. He who is the glory. But he has taken me in Christ and sat me down in the middle of that glory. And my glory is a bestowed glory. I'm a joint heir with Christ. But here I go. I'm starting again. Enough. Have a glorious week, you glorious ones. 
Now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may he bless you. Open your eyes to see his intention and purpose in placing you in Christ and giving you glory. And to walk this week with head held high, that out of you shall flow rivers of living water. So I bless you. So it is.